How are you feeling this morning? Good. I want you to welcome my beautiful wife, Amy. She's going to be uh, sharing uh, with me this morning as we continue our series on relationships, real relationships. If you need message notes, then uh, just raise your hand and the ushers will get to you. And if you need uh, pens or whatever, they have them. And so, um, babe, I'm so glad you're here with me. I'm glad I'm here with you, too. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. (laughs) Yeah, this is is not kind of a, a normal thing for her. In fact, she really dislikes it. But she has always been willing to do whatever Jesus would ask her. To do. Jesus twists my arm to do. I yes. do it. <laughs> yeah. Now, if I ask her, not so much. But if Jesus asks her, then she I does it. it. And so, uh, you know, we've been through quite a, uh, a series here where we've done several weeks on re- real relationships. And last week we talked about a single focus where we talked about um, unmarried people and how we're all uh, in this family together and and uh, if you missed any of the podcasts, you can go back and listen to them at onechapel.com. Uh, but it's, I, I, today we're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, what it looks like to be married and what, the, what that picture is. And so, you know, just as I said last week, you know, as I was starting to talk to all the single people, I, all you married people, I said, don't check out on me, all right? Now, so I'm... We're going to talk about marriage a little bit and that relationship and how significant that is and kind of the family dynamic. And I don't want all you single people to check out on me. Lean in, all right? This is and, important, and this important is, for this your is, future. That's right. It's good. It's good. And, and so we want, to, we want to make sure that we cover what I think all of us understand are pivotal relationships um, in our church family, and um, so so let's let's pause here and let's pray. All right, Father, we thank you so much for your kindness and your grace to us as we open the scriptures. That you aren't trying to force us into anything, and you would never, uh, in some cruel way, drive us. But you call us. It is your kindness that leads us to repentance. And so, Lord, as we speak today, would you just have your way? Would you move in our hearts and our minds and our thoughts about how to serve you and how to love you and how to love others? We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite stories is about Harold and Marie who were, uh, had had their 50th wedding anniversary. And they'd never been in an argument ever in their lives. And when asked about the secret to their marriage success... Harold explained they were leaving the church on their honeymoon just after the wedding in Marie's horse-drawn carriage, and the horse refused to go. Marie got out the carriage and looked at the horse in the face and said, that's one. Then she got back and continued, but the horse stopped again, right? And so she got out, and quickly she looked at the horse in the face and said, that's two. The horse went a little farther but stopped again, and this time Marie got out of the carriage and pulled out a revolver and shot the horse dead. Harold was appalled. And said, what's wrong with you, Marie? You can't do that. You can't just shoot an animal. Marie looked at Harold in the face and said, that's one. I like Marie. (laughs) And they never had a fight again. Don't you wish that this is how we could deal with relationships? Like Marie? No, no. Sometimes we want to deal with difficult relationships... Like this, but of course we can't. We, we ought not to. <laughs> loving God and loving people is what we're called to do. And this, these two great commandments that Jesus said upon which all the law and the prophets hang are, are, are really the, the primary thing that we have to be consumed with. And it's interesting because the, the two relationships are symbiotic. Ooh, good word. Loving God helps you understand how to love people. Loving people helps you understand how to love God, right? They work together. They cannot be separated. They work together in a symbiotic relationship. And so when we look at marriage, then we see that marriage is this picture 
It is a, a picture of what God has done in our lives. And, and, it, and it, it, there's a lot of, in some ways, there's a lot of pressure on marriage. Now, um, if we look at some statistics, you know, it's not just about love, right? Marriage is about so many other things. It's about, it's about partnership, in life. It's about work. It's about dreaming. It's, it's about vulnerability. It's about serving. It's about potential. It's about fruitfulness. Commitment. It's about commitment and it's about all of the, the dynamics that are happening inside of a soul being miraculously made one with another. And marriage has taken a beating over the last 50 years or so with a steady decline of the number of adults who are married, as well as an increase in the divorce rate. But interestingly enough, I was reading some new data uh, that are showing that millennials, actually Gen Xers, (laughs) Gen Xers, come on, my friends, any Gen Xers? Yeah, we didn't get a lot of love socially, you know, it's just like boomers and then millennials, they get all the press. We're stuck in between. We don't know what we want. That's why they call this Generation X. But, <laughs> but Generation X and millennials are becoming more picky, and they wait longer. They wait till they have a little a handle on, on life. And what that's translated to is a commitment to marriage that is unlike the, the commitments that the boomer generation had. In fact, an interesting thing, when, as I was reading this article, um, 18% decrease in divorce rate uh, among millennials. And, um, and it's not just that they're not getting married, right? It's that the ones who are, are really committing to it. And, um, and so, um, interestingly enough, all the boomers, they still continue to have the highest divorce rates even into their 60s and 70s. And so something really, something really got messed up in the boomer generation, uh, and, and, and we could have a whole long talk about that. But I think our culture understands that marriage isn't, hasn't really been very high of a priority. Uh, it's been violated a lot. Um, Amy and I have been married for 26 years. Give me some. Look at that baby picture. Look at those, look at that. I didn't even grow hair on my face then. And I need to defend my dress. That was in, back in the 1992, so puffy yes. sleeves. Yeah, so. 1992, <laughs> big giant really puffy beautiful. sleeves. Yes, yes. 1992 was a, head. yeah, those sleeves are like bigger than your, your whole face. That's awesome. You were beautiful, babe. Still are. And, uh, you know, 1992, significant year. Amy Grant had a hit, Baby Baby. You remember that? It was awesome. Bill Clinton became president. The Mall of America opened. It was amazing. Hit movies were Aladdin. Phenomenal cosmic power, itty bitty living space. (laughs) A few good men, Wayne's World. We were both in college, and we graduated in 1992, and then got married that summer. And um, we had we both taken a class, I guess. Had a marriage and family class, different years, but that was really our only like premarital counseling. We didn't have any of that. We were long distance the second half. Right. So. uh, our only premarital, well, mine, was my mom sitting on the couch with me saying, now you do know that he's a perfectionist and you're not. <laughs> that was it. That was the extent of our premarital counseling. <laughs> I'm like, I know, Mom. It's going to be fine. I love him. I love him. I don't know. I don't care who knows it. <laughs> or whatever that is. <laughs> so yes. That was it. We didn't have any. We didn't have a lot of premarital counseling. And, of course, I've come from a divorced and then blended family. So I had all kinds of hang-ups and weird things uh, that I felt like I was walking into with marriage. And, um, 
And, and we had some rough patches there just before we got married. Um, I'll save that story for another day. But there's a, there, the, during our first year of marriage, probably our hardest year, where she came to Colorado Springs where I was pastoring in a church there, and I had been there for almost a year, and I went back and walked in graduation for 1992, even though we were, um, that's what the distance was. So we, we walked in, in 92, we got married, and then she came to Colorado Springs, and she didn't know anybody. So I had all these friends. She didn't have any friends. So we had this come into his world where he knows everybody is a pastor at a church. I'm 22. Uh-huh. And I'm very insecure at this moment. I wasn't before <laughs> in my comfort zone of school and home. And then I come into this world. And yeah, so it was really tough in our little 500-foot 500 500 room, one-room apartment. It was really sweet. It was awesome. We had a little card table, right, in the little uh, dining area. And um, it was really sweet. It was on that table that um, she cooked for the first, first time. Meal, shake and bake chicken, baby. Yes. I did not know how to cook. Shake f- and bake chicken. The first time, the first time <laughs> she so served uh, mashed potatoes, she set them down and I, and I, we spooned them on and I, I just kind of said, oh, those are kind of runny. It, that was horrible. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah I was, I was, I was still a stupid husband. That's one. I hadn't left one. <laughs> He's still here. He's still here. So that was So I so I I said I just was I wasn't even saying anything. I wasn't complaining. I was just like, "Oh, those are runny." I was stating a fact. <laughs> so 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 I did not see potatoes on our table for 7 years. Mashed potatoes. I did not see mashed potatoes no, on our table for years. seven it, years. So when I say that this is a stubborn woman, faith, full of faith, you need to believe me. Stubbornness and faith. Yes, kind of that's right. Same coin there. So <laughs> the first year of our the first year of our marriage, I could be defined kind of by a moment. I remember it's burned in my brain where she was sitting on the bathroom floor in this five hundred foot square foot apartment, right? And she, you can hear everything through, through the bathroom. She's crying. And she's, we've had some kind of fight over something. And I'm laying on the bed. She's in the bathroom and she's sitting down on the floor or something. I don't want to be here. <laughs> and then she's like, I want my dad. <laughs> I was a daddy's girl and I really felt like he loved me way more than Ross did at the moment. So... <laughs> We wanted to go back to that. At that moment, it was probably true. <laughs> just, just kidding. So here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Our family backgrounds were so different. Her family uh, was, uh, ex- experienced some, some real trauma early in her dad and mom's life. He was a Vietnam veteran and went two tours of Vietnam and, and was hooked on drugs and got radically saved, right? And then uh, became a pastor. And so she has two brothers, and they're all very quiet in a sense, right? It's just very, everything's very calm. Everything's very quiet. My family, on the other hand, scary, is so scary. loud, so obnoxious, so much activity just going on over and over again. We had a blended family, so we had a bunch of teenagers in the house. So we talk about everything at the dinner table, if you know what I mean. And I think you do. It's so, so she, I remember the first time she was with my family and everybody was there. She was just like, <laughs> it was kind of like that scene in my big fat Greek wedding. If you've ever seen that movie, it's just, it's so awesome. So, but before, as we, as we launch into a little talk here about, about our uh, marriage and about principles that we've learned and things that we think are scriptural, I want to just help you know that this this union, this miracle that that we've experienced for 26 years is truly a miracle. I said last week that all marriages, the best, even the best marriages are still complex. And there is a challenge that we face when we come together and ask God to do a miracle between a man and a woman 
by making them one. This is a supernatural thing. And if we see it as, any, as, as, as not having any supernatural implications, we miss the miracle. We miss what God wants for marriage. And it's important that you understand that there's major differences here. And that one of the things that, that we have to do as a married couple is we have to celebrate the differences. It's not in your notes, but I just want you to write it down. You, you, this celebrate the differences things is a big deal. Amy is really a justice person. I am a mercy person. She sees everything in black and white, and it's all gray to me. And that causes fights. But, you know, it's really good when you get justice and mercy together. I mean, our kids might need therapy, but I'm just saying it's... There's like, there's like something that we get to model for our kids if we figure it out. And we, I, we've tried really hard, and, we, and with the Lord's help, we're trying to present this picture. She is incredibly punctual. Most of the time. Most yes. Of the time. I am, even, with, even when I had to get five kids ready, and so I had to get myself and five kids ready, and he had to get one person ready. <laughs> I was always on time, and he was not. So I couldn't understand that six to one thing. So moving on. (laughs) She is organizationally challenged. I am a perfectionist. It's a problem. She's a headliner. I'm a detail guy. This is the cause of lots of fights or the benefit of two people and who God is working in to help us become the kind of people who will love each other, lay down our lives. And it's, this is the thing, is unity, which is what God's doing, union, right here, unity is really only powerful if it has diversity in it. Mm-hmm. People who are the same, there's a major differences here. I'm a man. She's a woman. There's major differences. These, are, these can be problems or these can be something that, it, that are celebrated and recognized and then an invitation that God wants to do something. Because here's the truth. Love comes from God. Love is something that we've got to ask him to show us so that we can show it to one another. 1 John 4, 7 through 9 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Say it with me. God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12, one of my favorites in the Bible. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, what happens? God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. That is a truism that works with anybody, but it is especially true in marriage, as we'll see here as we read a bit more scripture. That there's an illustration of something beautiful. So I think there, we have, first place we have to go is there are four needs that only can be met through God's love. Four needs that can only be met through God's love. And the first one is acceptance. Acceptance, so we can't just just look to our spouse for these things. We have to look to God for these things. And then our spouses, hopefully, as they learn about these things and how they have to receive them from God, we get to contribute to each other. It's not as if she can never show me acceptance. She has many times in our life. But if that's the only place that I get acceptance, she has to fill a black hole. She's just trying to fill it and fill it, and it never gets filled because I don't find my acceptance from God. Total acceptance is knowing everything about a person and loving them anyway. And she's and she showed that to me, but her ability to show that to me comes from God. God's love is limitless. Nothing can separate you from it. Once you have that down and you, you feel that acceptance, you have power. You have a certain authority to show that to somebody else. 
Identity is the next one. The one who created you is the only one who can tell you who you are. If you trust your spouse to tell you who you are, you're going to be sadly disappointed. Don't let others judge you. Let the reality that you need be found in Christ. Your identity, Colossians 2.17, essentially says that. Don't let other people judge you. Find your reality in Christ. When you bring that type of a person to a marriage, a person who has their identity secure, then they can share with another person who they really are. And, and God did not create humans to meet another, all of another human's needs. And I think that's kind of, in, in marriage sometimes, we, we, we come to the altar to get married and we think, oh, this is going to be so romantic and perfect and, and he's just going to fill my life with joy and love and think I'm beautiful all the time. And, and that is true, I have. Expectation. Well, you, you have done a but very then there good are, job. But in. then there are other times when it's not true. Yes. Because we're humans and we're not perfect, but God is perfect. So he can meet our needs all of the time. All the time. And so when we try to get that from somebody else alone, mm-hmm. our needs met, then it just sucks too much the pressure. life out of the other person. And then you become so needy that it's yeah. not It's too much pressure. <laughs> it's too much pressure. Too much pressure. Um, security is the third one. I need to know that everything is going to be all right. Your spouse cannot always meet that need. Security, the only security in this life is actually from God, Psalm 91. Number four is purpose. I need to know that there is a reason that I'm alive, and you can only get that from God. If you try to get that purpose from another person, you'll go on a wild goose chase. Philippians 2.13 says God knows you and designed you to accomplish his purpose. There is something that no job, no accomplishment, no career arc, and no other person can give you. Because if we don't trust Jesus to meet these needs, we will transfer them to people around us. And it's too heavy. They cannot fulfill it. Listen, listen, church. One chapel, Jesus is the most faithful person you will ever meet. Right? Now, now that doesn't mean we shouldn't work to be faithful to each other. But because of our humanity, it's, it's there. We have to be careful. We're not setting unrealistic expectations of our spouse. And, and this is really true. Like needy people, this is interesting. Um, neediness creates unattractiveness. Mm-hmm. You can write that out, down, out to the side. Neediness creates unattractiveness. When, two, when a couple gets together, if there's one that's super needy, super obsessed with another person, the more obsessed they get, the more needy they get, the more unattractive they get. I don't like it when people say, I can't live without you, right? I know it's a romantic notion, but the truth is, I can live without you. I just don't want to. And then there's another romantic phrase that everybody loves from Jerry Maguire when he says, you You complete complete me. me. Which sounds beautiful and wonderful, but the reality of that is no other human can complete another human. The scripture says that we are only complete in Christ. That's where we find our identity, our security, our acceptance, our purpose, our completeness is in Christ. So single people, if, if you want to have a super healthy marriage, you... Keep working on yourself. Keep working keep on working. yourself. Yep. You become secure in who you are. You find your identity in Jesus and, and acceptance. And if you're a married person, yes, you got to keep the work going. Yes. Now, let me pause here and just say this, because there's some people in the room, and you're fighting for everything that you can. Your marriage is broken. You have a history of not finding your identity in Christ, and there's, a, there, there's just been a, a woundedness or, or a hurt in your past. Some of you are divorced, and, and, you're, and that has created pain in your life. I want to pause right here, and it's very important. Amy and I talked about how how significant it is for you to listen to what we're going to say without shame or without condemnation. We have to have a way to read what the Bible says, to hold it up as a standard, and then in humility admit that we can't always reach it, that we've failed from time to time. Some of you have been failed. 
like your husband or your wife has failed you in a massive way and it's caused great pain in your life. I want to just say that even though the, some of the things we're talking about are funny, there, there are things that are happening in your lives that I understand are, have no humor attached to them. And, and I want to I pause here to say that Jesus is the only solution here for you not to sense condemnation, but for you to somehow open your heart to hope. And I don't know what that hope is supposed to be in terms of an outcome, right? Because as you've heard me say many times, we put our faith in a person, not in an outcome. So whatever you're fighting for in your marriage, whatever you're struggling with, put your hope in Jesus And don't listen through the lens of condemnation and shame today. Listen through the lens that Jesus changes everything. Right? So so please hear that and and don't feel um, threatened by our talk here. Let's all all create a a bloodline, right, with our, our, our history and our past, and let's let Jesus work on us going forward. Okay, so so next next little section is love never fails, and we just want to talk about this for a second. First Corinthians thirteen four through eight says, "Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self seeking. It is not easily angered." Whew! Not done yet. <laughs> it keeps no record of wrongs. You should underline that one. It's the one we're most inclined to do. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Take a minute and circle the word always. That's a bunch of always. It's really hard to do this always, but this is what love is. We just read a scripture that said, God is love. This is what he does, and we learn it from him, and then we live it out through him, with him, and many times for him. We live for another person's good. If there's a definition that we want you to leave with today about love, it is love is living for another person's good. It's thinking about what's good for them. It's always being willing to think about their good and their benefit and what's going on with them. It's hard to keep that straight in a culture that where, where we've been so segmented where we have been indoctrinated with some of the self-esteem ideology that says, I have to have certain things in order to be happy, right? But, but, but what you find, I think, is as a, as a person who follows Christ, a person who follows Jesus, that there is an identity in him that enables you, that empowers you, that doesn't make you a victim, Right, but that makes you an overcomer and then able to do what is good for another person. And the interesting thing about this phrase is that it is sometimes the good thing you must do is hard. It doesn't feel it, it doesn't feel like something they want. I was just talking with a couple, and we were talking about s- separating for a time and I I'm 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 not opposed to separating people in marriage for a season. I I always want it to be defined. I want it to have purpose. I want it to have direction. But sometimes there is a need to like go to your corners. <laughs> like go to your corners and let's try to get ourselves with some perspective here. Work on something right here. I'm a, I'm a fan of that. And so I think but but and sometimes one person in the marriage doesn't want that to happen. But love sometimes is making sure that there is separation, especially in any cases where there is abuse or there is some kind of violation. Okay? So 
Don't misunderstand what we're saying here. We're, we're talking about learning how to live your life for the good of another person. But as soon as I say that, a lot of our minds go straight to the exceptions and not what we're called to. Be careful that you're not thinking about the exceptions to the rule, but you're embracing the rule God gives us. You know, <laughs> this is funny. You know, I know every, everybody can stay married if, if, they, if they want to. You know how I know this? Luke chapter 6, where Jesus says, love your enemies. <laughs> right? And, and the, only, the only modifier to that is when, you're, when you love a person deeply and you live close to them, it's almost harder to get over that than an enemy who's being mean to you, right? So, so there's a great, almost a greater challenge to that. But if you can love your enemies, you can love somebody that you decided to marry. That's why identity is so important in marriage, yeah. to know who you are so that you can lay your life down yeah. for your spouse. Jimmy Evans has a great saying um, that the best marriages are two servants in love. And that's, that's two people who come together with the idea that we're coming together and we're going to outserve one another. That's, mm-hmm. that's what we're going to do in our marriage. I'm going to work really hard to serve him because of the love of Christ that I have in me. And we're commanded to lay our lives down for one another. And so if, if I have my identity rooted in Christ and I know who I am, even when he's being mean to me, because he is mean to me from time to time, people, <laughs> that... I and I am mean to him from time to time, um, but I can lay my That's life. That's not true. She's almost never mean to me. Well, almost never. Almost never. <laughs> but if I know who I am in Christ, just like it talked about Philippians two, Jesus knew who he was. So he didn't have to prove himself. He didn't have to find out who he was from other people. He could he could lay his life down mm-hmm. for all of us because I know who I am. I'm confident in that. That's so exactly right. Me. That's exactly right. You find your hope, your security, your identity, and your purpose in him. So let's, let's quickly move through this. Love is giving yourself for the good of another, even at great personal cost. It is giving yourself. Now, the opposite of love is not hate. It is selfishness. The opposite of love is not hate. It's selfishness. It's being consumed with yourself. People who are consumed with themselves are that way for a reason. Because they've been hurt or they've been wounded or there's something going on in their history. And sometimes you have to, in an understanding way, unpack that and work through that. Selfish people don't know how to love or give or be selfless. They have to, they have to see it modeled. Children need to see that modeled. They don't do it automatically. They don't, selfish people only know how to take, how to consume, and how to lust. Lust is a terrible substitute for love. Lust is taking for yourself what you want from others regardless of the cost. Love is giving. Lust is taking for yourself what you want from others regardless of the cost. Without, lust is taking without any moral constraints. Lust is about me, what I want. Our society is full of this idea that we can't control love, that it's just this thing that hits us and suddenly knocks us on the ground. And, oh, I'm just in love. Or I, like, I fell into love. It just, I was walking around and I tripped over it. Nothing could be further from the truth. It's a romantic idea, but it's wrong. Love is a fundamental decision. Somehow we we have this picture in our culture that love is fickle and it's unpredictable and crazy. But that's not describing love. That's describing lust that can attach to anything at any moment without, without moral constraint. Love is the decision that we make to sacrifice and give ourselves at great personal cost. And you can do that if you're a Jesus follower. It's very hard to do it without Jesus as your model. It's very challenging. Love is unlocking the potential in your spouse. This is a big thing that Amy and I have talked a lot about. When I discovered a few years ago that it was really not my job just to receive her love, but it was my job to unlock God's potential, like what God was trying to do, his purpose. Once I keyed in on that, I realized I, I'm supposed to be part of this process. I'm helping unlock potential that lives in her. What is it that God's doing in her, and how can I cooperate with that? And she with me. And uh, I think if we don't understand that, we just kind of keep going along as two people that are trying to find ourselves together. 
right? And so I, I think there's an idea here, celebrating these differences, realizing that there's a, a purpose there. Because, um, because this, is, this is what we're really after, right? At the end of the day, we're after a picture. Because love and marriage is supposed to paint a picture for the world. It's supposed to paint a picture of God and how he loves people. This is what Ephesians 5.21 through 28 says. Now, this is the dreaded submission passage that lots of people have, have like gotten all bent out of shape over. But we included in our, in our uh, reading of this passage, it's important to include verse 21, which in the, in the NIV says, submit yourself... I'm not going to read it here from the Message Bible yet. I'm going to let Amy do that. But it says in the NIV Bible, it says, Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it continues with wives and husbands and their roles. Okay? you got to understand, I believe marriage is about partnership and equality in every respect. In every way. There is in no way there is nothing that marriage makes us in unequal. We are equal in every way before God, in our calling, in our purpose, in what God can and wants to do with us. We are equal in every way. And you've got to understand that. And therefore, there are times when I need to, in a submissive and reverent way to God, need to listen to what she's saying. That's right. I was trying to decide. I, <laughs> he does a really I was good tr- job. I was that. trying to decide. I was trying to decide um, whether to come to Austin, leave my old, leave our old life. We were praying about it. She was totally convinced. She, for months, she was like, "I'm just waiting for you." And it was true. And I was talking to my dad one day, and he said these words, and it really was meaningful to me. He says, well, what does Amy think? And I, and, and, and I told him that she's ready to go. And he says, you know, there are times in your life when she's going to speak to you, and it is God's voice to you. And that's true of husbands and wives. I hate it when she's right, <laughs> and I've disagreed with it. Right? Because I don't want to admit it. But Jesus speaks through her, and why wouldn't he? If this is spiritual, if this thing we have here is not just two people trying to survive together, trying to figure it out, if this is a miracle of two people becoming one in a spiritual way, in a supernatural way, that God is part of that speaking process, that leadership process as we are one. Okay? So... With that, I want Amy to, to read this little section, and, um, and then I'll let you kind of talk about what you want to talk yeah. about for a second. So Ephesians five twenty one through 28 says, Out of respect, in the message, Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in a way that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness, and that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. And even when you go down, it talks more about how husbands are supposed to treat their wives. It's a lot of talk to husbands. <laughs> it's a lot of talk to husbands. <laughs> a lot of talk to husbands. But something that I, I wanted to talk about real quick is about... Um, the part, yeah, the part that says the husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. I think we've kind of had a skewed idea of how husbands are supposed to lead their wives. And, you know, I do think that marriage is a picture of Christ and the church, and husbands are, are, are examples of Christ, mm-hmm. and, and wives are examples of the church and how Jesus lays his life down for us. Husbands lay their lives down, and then women respond. As the church, we respond. But this is how 
men are supposed to lead their wives, not by domineering. It's not, it's not saying, um, I think we're, we're supposed to do this. We're going to do this. So you just need to do what I say and we're going we're gonna to do this. I don't want to hear from you. Um, that's, and actually, Guys, some marriages I'm just are telling that you, way. Some marriages are that way. I'm just telling you, that doesn't work very well. It <laughs> does not work. But, but how, how a husband is supposed to lead his wife is by cherishing her. And we don't talk about that enough, I don't think, in the church. Church, cherishing, the word cherishing. Like if husbands would lead by cherishing, and cherishing means adoring. It's a, it's a synonym for cherishing, the word adore. And cherishing means to, to take care of, to protect lovingly. And that is exactly what Jesus does for us. Jesus cherishes us. He cherishes each one of us. And so that is the example that husbands are uh, supposed to, to be like for their wives. So I just want you to think about that when you think about what it means to lead your wives and your family. When your kids see you cherishing uh, your, the, your wife, their mom, that is a huge, huge impact and a huge statement to them on how um, husbands are supposed to treat their wives. And then as wives respond, I mean, when somebody cherishes you, women, you're, you respond like just like crazy, like cherishing back. Like you cherish your husband, you respect him, you esteem him. You want to lay your life down because he's laid his life down for you and cherished you. So that I just wanted to encourage all the men in the room today to really pray about what cherishing your wife means and how you can lead in that way at home because that's so important. Studies have shown that the most significant impact you can have on your children is how you treat each other the modeling of the marriage. The children are not the center of the marriage. The marriage is the center of the family, right? And so sometimes we get this all out of whack, and especially in our modern day where we want our kids to have everything they need, and we feel guilty, and we're trying to make stuff happen for them. We make them the center instead of Jesus being the center of our lives and making marriage the center of our family. <laughs> what we tell our kids all the time is, listen, you're leaving. <laughs> we just said that You the will day. leave. You're leaving. Now I understand, I understand they come back and then they leave again, but it's, but it's just, it's just this process. The, the process of healthy parenting is training your kids to get ready to leave, but you know, who's going to be left? We're going to be left. And that means we got to make this, we, we can't wait. We, our kids are not in here. My kids are not in here. Our kids are out. Yeah, this is don't tell them. So, um, so that's the study is the tr- tremendous impact study after study. The most impactful thing on your kids is how the marriage does. Don't, you don't have to focus on them, focus on each other and let it trickle down. That's how it, that's how it can work. Now here's how the argument goes. Well, if my husband would act like Jesus, <laughs> I'd submit to him. That is true. <laughs> if, if my wife would, uh, you know, stop nagging me, I'd cherish her. That wasn't quite as funny, was it? <laughs> Wait a minute. Here's the thing. If you're going to do what Jesus wants you to do in your marriage, there, it has to come with faith. It has to be done in a way that expresses faith. In, in who you know you are in Christ, and that when you make an, an investment, when I decide that I'm going to cherish her and treat her with love and respect, even when I'm struggling, oh, we didn't get to our last few things. Here they are. I'm just going to name them for you. This is what we've decided as we've decided how we're going to cherish one another, how we're going to submit to one another. These are our principles. We kind of live by this. Number one, do the right thing regardless of your, what your spouse does to you. Oh, how do you do that? Because you're still a Christian. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you... Romans 12, 21 says, yeah. overcome, do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. Proverbs says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. No, but the, the wrath answer feels so much better. If you want your marriage to reflect Christ and you want to cherish one another, do the right thing regardless of what your spouse does to you. Number two, be kind whenever you're, even when you're angry. 
Even when you're upset, when you're frustrated, when you're fighting or arguing, even when this is going on, be kind. Don't make it personal. Don't, don't insult them. Be as nice as you are to the checkout person at H-E-B. Right? Like, be, you know, that kind of niceness, and you're like, I don't know that person. I don't, kind of, I don't know how stupid they are. I know how stupid my spouse is, right? It's like, it's like I get that. But listen, just you, ha- you have Jesus inside of you. You can be kind. You can be kind. Even when you're frustrated, don't make it personal. Don't say things that are cruel and mean to each other. That undoes cherishing. It undoes submission. It undoes all these important concepts. Number three, keep the main things the main thing. Right? What are the main things? I submit to you that there's only about three of them. Fidelity, I'm the only one. It's hard to to say vows to your wife like, I love you with half my heart. No, fidelity is important. It's worth fighting over. Child rearing is probably pretty important, right? uh, Like the way you're going to raise your kids, that might be worth having a few hard discussions over. Finances might be another thing that you might. And after that, there's like very little that's worth getting bent out of shape over. Uh, quick story about drawers. So we are reading a, a great book. Uh, called, called The Marriage, Marriage You've, You've Always, always wanted. wanted by Gary Chapman. Yes. And Pick it up. It's great. there about um, how his wife had a bad habit of always leaving drawers open and cabinets and stuff open. And so, so, we, so he's like, it just got so bad. We'd have fights over it. He said, I finally decided I could either divorce her over the drawers or, he had two ashrams, or I could shut the drawers. So he said, I decided I should just shut the drawers. <laughs> it really wasn't that big of a deal. Just shut his, the drawers. His point was, maybe God put me with her to be a drawer shutter. I mean, you never know. <laughs> like, like, can I... Sure. Laundry is in two places at our house. Clean pile, dirty pile. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah. No, ain't nothing wrong with that, people. <laughs> so I can either do my own laundry, which has yes. been suggested to me many yes. times, uh, uh, or I can be okay with laundry being in the clean pile of the dirty pile. It's not worth getting bent out of shape over. Do you see what I'm saying? There's so many things people start fighting over, and they're small. They don't matter. It means you're focused on the wrong things. You're not thinking about the most important things. Reframe your mindset. Get, get a new way of looking at your spouse. Number four is repent quickly and forgive always. Repent quickly and forgive always. <laughs> we kind of always want to repent after we've made them suffer. <sighs> you know, I'm so mad at them, I'm just going to make them suffer for a while, and then I'm the one who's the problem, right? Forgive always. We're called to forgive. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry, this says, and do not give the devil a foothold. Jesus wants to be in the middle of your life and your marriage. And I think if you can practice these things, you will start reflecting him. You'll start seeing him. All right, let's pray. Father, would you help every one of us just if you're, if, if, if you're married right now, just reach over and grab the hand of, of your spouse if they're here with you. And I just want to, Lord, I pray for every couple in the room. I pray that you'd teach them, train them, encourage them, empower them, give them grace today. I pray for a new level of understanding, a revelation of love and mercy to be poured out in their marriage. I pray for a a new understanding of cherishing and reverence the way they treat one another. Father, I pray for every couple that you would profoundly influence them today because your voice is speaking, not just because of our voices, but because of your voice. And then, Lord, I pray for those whose spouses are not here, but they're married and they're, they're either separated or they're just struggling or they're, or they're really in trouble. Father, I pray that you would give them peace in the midst of the storm. I pray that you would give them courage. I pray, Lord, that you'd help them to know 
that you are with them, that you are not against them. I pray that you would help them in their struggle to listen, to open their heart, to be like you. For you to fill them with your security, with your acceptance, with your purpose. Lord, we thank you for this. We pray for those who have struggled because of divorce, the pain, the history, the brokenness. Father, would you bring healing into their lives? Violations from their past, Father, we just pray over them because marriage is a, is a sacred thing. And then when it's, it's violated, it hurts, it cuts to the core, it's, it's so wounding. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, you would continue to heal every heart every wounded soul. Father, I pray for your grace to be poured out on them in in an especially significant way today. That they would know you, that they would hear you, and that they would experience you taking them, wrapping your arms around them, moving them forward in their life. I pray, Lord, for breakthrough in marriages. I pray for breakthrough in the way they see each other. I pray for breakthrough. I pray for the scales from their eyes to be dropped. I pray in the name of Jesus that the lies of the enemy would be broken in the name of Jesus. Lord, that they would we'd see each other as you see them. We pray this, Lord, for this picture to be restored. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I just want to pray for the spouses in the room who have not felt cherished and who've not felt loved, the husband and the wife, God, who have deep hurts and who, who have longed to feel loved and cherished as they wanted to in a marriage, Lord. And I just pray that you would just sweep in, God, and let them know that they are cherished and they are loved completely and totally accepted just the way they are by you, by their father, by the one who matters most. I just pray for that, that that goes deep in everyone's heart here today, that they are fully loved, fully cherished. And they don't have to look for it from someone else, God, because they're complete in you. I thank you for that revelation today, Lord Jesus. Just do a deep work and deep healing right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.